Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, podcast listener, to this, our back issue edition of the Drawn and Panel podcast. With me as always today is John. Hello, mortals. <laughs> and Jason is here as well. Hey, everybody. And today we're going to take a new look at the origins of a very famous superhero who was actually idolized by Jerry Seinfeld. But first, first, <laughs> <laughs> we have some more listener email. Yeah. And this listener nice. email comes from Will B. Will is one of our awesome listeners who always writes in and gives us some really cool insights. Today, Howdy, he says, Will. hey, guys, just wanted to drop a quick line to say that I've been enjoying the addition of John to the show. Oh, oh yeah. That makes, that makes one. <laughs> Party over here. <laughs> Party over. Yeah. Wait, wait. That makes one. <laughs> that's, that's what I don't know. I'm not getting involved in that argument. <laughs> you just got dark. <laughs> no, we're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. As well as the more compartmentalized sections with the comic creators. Okay, so he likes the hot seat interviews. That's good. He also liked the look back at Infinity War as I love Starlin's work, he says. The Infinity series gets less compelling as they go. I wouldn't recommend spending much time with Infinity Crusade, but Starlin has spent his entire career exploring these enormous cosmic ideas, and I love his commitment. If you guys have seen Avengers Endgame, he's actually in the film in the scene where Cap is leading a support group for those left behind after the snap. Oh, really? Starlin's the yeah. bald guy with the earring. In any case, keep up the good work. Oh, oh that's pretty cool. Yeah, I had the, no idea. Yeah, spoiler I, alert. I recognized him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Cap's, Cap's leading a support group. <laughs> now you've ruined it. Damn it. Now nobody wants to see the movie after that piece of information. That, they've no, already no, made their 2.5 cool. billion. I think they're okay. That's, Are they right. at 2.5 billion at this well, point? It's 2.1 something now. And by the time this publishes, I have pretty high confidence they'll two and a half. Yep. Yeah, you're probably right. Man, that's just incredible. I mean, first of all, Will, thank you very much for the compliments of John being added to the show. We're all very happy to have our third panelist now. (laughs) 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 That's not self-serving at all. No, I'm just just applauding the the caliber of uh, listener that you have and what intelligence he has. We have (laughs) wonderful listeners, so (laughs) therefore you're applauding our podcast because we attract such wonderful listeners. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. We, we've been toying around with the, with the format of the show a little bit. I enjoy the hot seat interviews. Now it gives our creators a chance to talk a little bit about themselves so we can find out some more personal history as well as telling us about a specific book that we're reviewing, but it, they don't have to spend hours and hours recording with John and Jason, which drives everyone nuts. Who's on this end of the microphone. Can I do a hot seat interview so I can talk a little more about myself? Is that something? Yeah, yeah, I think you could. Do you want to, you want to be the subject of a hot seat interview then? Oh, right. I I haven't done anything with comic books. We could talk about the letter that got published in a shadow comic book once. We could talk about the letter that got published in the shadow comic book. That's my comic book cred. (laughs) It's better than mine. I've, I've never had a letter published. So there you go. Well, before we learn too much about John and about Jason's distaste for John being on the show, let's jump in right after this. 
Gen X Comics and Collectibles, the next generation of the comic book specialty store, is celebrating its grand opening this Saturday at Westgate Mall. Hundreds of dollars in grand opening giveaways will be handed out during this celebration. Gen X has the hottest books in the country, like X-Men, Spawn, Wildcats, Gen 13, plus the latest in non-sports cards, new comics weekly, and hundreds of back issues. Gen X also features in-store specials on comics, t-shirts, cards, and specialty items every week. Don't miss the grand opening of Gen X Comics and Collectibles this Saturday at Westgate Mall. Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo... Hey, everybody. ...and George... Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner can't just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a here we go then. This is the six-issue miniseries Superman Man of Steel from 1986. A fantastic year, by the way, if uh, you were growing <laughs> up in that era. And uh, yeah, so this was replete with information about Superman. And my understanding is actually a little bit of a reinvention. So let's talk about the people who made it happen. First off, the writer-artist on this series. Jace, tell us a little bit about John Byrne. Well, we could spend a whole episode on John Byrne. He is well-known to comic book fans of the 780s. 70s, 80s, 90s, so on. He's probably best known for being the artist and also eventually the co-plotter of a really hefty run of Uncanny X-Men from Mm -hmm. 108 to 143. That includes the Dark Phoenix stuff. The Dark Phoenix, which is just about to become a new motion picture in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or is it still Sony? I don't know. It's still Sony, yeah. But it's going to eventually become Marvel because of the new deal that got made. It always impresses me when you guys go, oh, X-Men went away through 143. I know what happened in that. I'm like, really? You know what happens in these numbers? That's amazing. Well, I mean, there are certain runs, obviously, in the comic book universe that, you know, you're familiar with. Like, for instance, one of my favorites is uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars 1 through 12. I know every single thing that happened in those because mm-hmm. it was one of my favorite books. So if you're a fan of certain titles, then you kind of know what happened in certain issues. Like the last few issues of Volume 2 of The Flash, the last like 20 issues was all the trial of The Flash where he gets accused of a crime and all this kind of stuff. So it reminds me of Star Trek nerds. They go, oh, let that be your blast. Right. Battlefield. That's right, the one where he's half right. black, half white. It's like, and most people have no idea. They're like, oh, I know exactly who's in that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He was also a co-creator of one of my favorite characters of all time, Kitty Pride. Now, she had a wonderful little six-issue miniseries with Wolverine mm-hmm. back in the 80s that oh, yeah. I love. I still have all the issues of. But he created a whole bunch of other people as well, right, Jason? Oh, yes. Uh, Emma Frost, also known as the White Queen, Sabretooth. Uh, oh, really? Sabretooth. Yeah. Wow. Scott, Scott Lang, uh, the second the Ant-Man. The best Ant-Man. Man the ever, best Ant-Man by ever. Far. Yes. The current one in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right. because the other Ant-Man was, he's just too, I don't know, Hank Pym was too proper. I, yeah. I never liked Hank Pym. Scott Lang was my man. That was the guy who you could have a beer with on the, you know, on your couch. He was right. awesome. Yeah, I like I like all of the Ant-Mans because I'm short, so I identify with the, <laughs> the short superheroes. <laughs> 
just he's Ant Man without any powers. He's just That's, <laughs> that you know of. He also produced a whole bunch of Star Trek comics for IDW. Is that right? That is correct. He did produce a bunch of Star Trek comics for IDW. I think speaking he still of Star Trek nerds, oh, right? has some that crank out. So uh, he's pretty proud of that. Let's move on a little bit then, uh, since he was the writer and artist there. The next person we're going to talk about is the inker, the tracer, Kevin <laughs> Smith's favorite category of artists in the comic book world. Dick Giordano was the inker on this series of hey, books. forget about it. Giordano. <laughs> forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> he is known, uh, he's a great inker. Everybody's, you know, that pays attention to the inkers has heard Dick Giordano's name. He's known mostly, though, um, for working with Neil Adams in the 70s for Batman and then the Green Lantern, Green Green Arrow series oh, that was popular in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, that's a really fun series. Green Lantern, Green Arrow. That's a great title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know the Batman stuff in the seventies is great with the introduction of Raz Al Ghul or however you want to pronounce his name. So right, Ra's Al Ghul or Raz Al Ghul, either one is acceptable mm-hmm. here at Drawn and Panel. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Very inclusive group. We try to be. You know, we we <laughs> l- allow Star Trek nerds in. You know, John Byrne is welcome anytime he would like to drop by. So we're happy to have everyone here. Now, unfortunately, we can't have Dick Giordano here because unfortunately he passed away in 2010, right? Oh. He did. It was uh, unfortunate, but shortly thereafter, the Hero Initiative, which is a charity organization that collects funds to help comic creators that are on in need or have fallen on mm, hard times. Right. That's what the Hero Initiative does. But they created the Dick Giordano Humanitarian of the Year Award, which basically is for people that, you know, are, um, you know, real proud of the comic industry and promote uh, generosity and integrity and support, you know, the comic book community. So that's a pretty nice honor to have. Anytime we get a chance to talk about the Hero Initiative, I'm just over the moon. If you want to find out more about it, search for it online, the Hero Initiative. Jason, maybe you can put something in the show notes for our people. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) That'll be in the show notes. (laughs) It's a great way to help out those people who brought us such joy as younger people. And one more of those people was the colorist, Tom Zuko. He has a lot of uh, credits to his name as a colorist. We've seen him before because he worked on Crisis on Infinite Earths, which... Mm, that, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there was several colorists on that, which would make sense because that is a big book with a lot yeah, of... Yeah, they all kept running out of ink. Yeah. That's what it was happening there. <laughs> so what was Crisis on Infinite Earths? You guys covered that at one point on Drawn a Panel, right? We did. Crisis on Infinite Earths is kind of the predecessor to the book we're discussing today. It was essentially a reset that happened in the mid 80s of the entire DC universe uh, lines of comics. So they took all their comic book heroes, they put them in this horrible situation, and all the timelines and origin stories and everything ended up being rewritten at the end of it so they could have a new starting off point for the modern DC at that time. Mm -hmm. Well, that must have happened BJ before John, because I wasn't here for that. That discussion. So it did happen, BJ. Okay, so that's so. a whole new term that we've apparently invented. And then there's and the stuff that happens AJ. There, yeah, that, there's that's, stuff. That's, a, that's the crucial. That's the good AJ. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm not sure how I feel about these. We're going to get in so much trouble for one of those terms. I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds great to me. (laughs) (laughs) He went so far as to even do Scooby-Doo. Yes, he he worked worked on Scooby-Doo. Comics? Yeah, Scooby-Doo comics. So from one extreme to the big cosmic crisis on Infinite Earths down to the other of Mm Scooby-Doo. Hanna-Barbera kind of work. (laughs) I could have stopped Thanos if it weren't for you meddling kids. Well, one last person to talk a little bit about, and that's the unsung hero, the letterer. We've talked often about that here on Drawn and Paneled, mm-hmm. how much the letterers contribute to these books, especially back in the manual days when everything was done by hand before the computers and fonts and type sizes and all that kind of stuff. This letterer was, oddly enough, John Costanza. I know we talked about Seinfeld earlier <laughs> right, in the episode. Right. <laughs> So now we've got a Costanza here. Yeah. Can't stand you. <laughs> he lettered a lot of different books uh, throughout the years. He had a long career in the industry. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that one thing that he did was he worked on Alan Moore's acclaimed run on Swamp Thing, which was in the late 80s. And we've talked a little bit about Swamp Thing here on Drawn and Paneled recently because it does have a TV series that had a whole bunch of episodes ordered, had a couple of them cut back, (laughs) if you remember, John. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you'll find interesting, Alan Moore, that's the guy who created The Watchmen. If you remember that movie, Mm -hmm. it was also, before it was a movie, it was a critically acclaimed short story series that was out, when was that, early 2000s? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, like Rorschach uh, has the mm-hmm. splotch on his face and the yes. big naked blue guy. Yeah, yes, yep. yeah, <laughs> Doctor Manhattan, there we big go. naked blue guys. Is I have pseudonym. just regurgitated everything I know about the Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting that look at the movies, for example. I mean, how many Spider-Man reboots have we had? Right, so just there's the Tobey mm-hmm. Maguire Spider-Man, mm-hmm. you know, this one and that one, and Tom Andrew Holland Garfield, is out now. Right, 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 and when those happen, they just happen. And what is interesting to me is like so when these major comic book publishers decide they want to do a reboot it's like they it's almost like they don't just reboot they write in how the reboot happened is that sure is that what i'm oh, detecting yeah. here is that what i'm it is that, and that's kind of what i smell it's like we want to start over this character but let's not just do it let's make explain how this multiverse caused it to happen right, right? right. well and that's the thing i mean sometimes it's the whole multiverse that gets rewritten and gets redone and sometimes it's an individual character like for instance in the mid 80s iron man was tony stark and then mm-hmm. he had to leave the character i forget did he get killed jason or did he just leave iron man he was a raging alcoholic <laughs> right. So he just kind of drummed out. And so then another person stepped into the Iron Man costume and became Iron Man for I don't know how many issues at that point. I just think it's really interesting that instead of just doing it, they make doing it part of the story. So it's more integral and it isn't so jarring. The movies kind of don't ever do. They just say, eh, new guy. Right. right. Yeah. They just recast and a whole new series of movies and you're left holding the bag on your old tickets going, what the hell happened here? Why, don't, <laughs> why didn't we find out what happened to Jamie Foxx, you know, later on? Uh, what happened right. to that guy? <laughs> My Tobey Maguire t-shirt is worthless now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> your favorite DC characters have just been ooshed. These little DC superheroes and supervillains are ready for action. There are 40 awesome DC Ooshies you can collect and swap. Look out for the rare and limited edition figures. DC Ooshies. Out now from Imports Dragon. 
Superman Man of Steel featured a lot of characters that, you know, I think everybody probably knows about. Uh, the- <laughs> I have never heard of any of these characters. Never Can heard you of please enlighten me? No, I've never heard of, would you say Kent Clark? Is that who you said? Close. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> Clark, yeah. Clark Kent, also known as... Clark Kent. That's what it was. As... As the uh, first superhero, actually, no, he wasn't the first, but probably the uh, most popular superhero no, ever. There is a shadow fan here mm-hmm. who would strongly disagree <laughs> with that first superhero. That's crime. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I noticed in reading this miniseries that you never see those two guys in the same panel at the same time. Um, you know, hmm. I think you're right. There's not a Clark Kent super. <laughs> hmm. Read the book. No, I'm just kidding. That's old time life reference there for those of you who grew up in Generation X. That's right. No. Clark Kent, Superman, all kidding aside, he is probably the most iconic superhero in all of comic books. You, Somebody says comic books, probably the first guy they're going to think about is Superman. I, I don't think guess. anybody's going to fight you for that. And they're going to lose if they no. try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not just comic books, but we there was, you know, the TV show from the 50s that, that I watched mm-hmm. on George Nick, Reeves. Yeah, right. George Reeves. I used to watch it on Nick and Knight. And there's Christopher Reeve. Uh, mm. Then there was the cartoons. And then there was, you know, the Terry Hatcher show show with Dean Kane. Yeah, it's just right. right. So just quick question for both of you. Who was your favorite live action portrayal of Superman? Christopher Reeve. Hands okay. down. I win. Over. I, I think finish. you do. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I, he's my favorite as well. Jason, what about you? You're a little bit younger than John and I, so you might have a different perspective. Oh, um, don't you even Dean Kane it. Don't you even <laughs> Dean Kane it. <laughs> I, I did like Dean Kane. Uh, I I oh, of prob- course you did. I probably re <laughs> rewatching the films. I would say I didn't love those Christopher Reeve Superman movies, but I thought that he was Are probably the best. Me? He was the best in- interpretation <laughs> of Clark Kent and Superman that mm-hmm, we've seen. Yeah. I-, I think they fell short with uh, Henry Cavill. I think he could have been good, but I think that was a writing and directing thing. So, but I'll, I'll go with Christopher Reeve. I'll go with Christopher Reeve as well. He's by far my favorite to this day. God bless him. Rest in peace. You know, Christopher Reeve, I think, defined Superman for me. I know George Reeves was Superman before mm-hmm. Christopher Reeves yeah. was. A L- little too campy, though. A little yeah. too campy. And yep. they didn't, you know, maybe it was him or maybe it was the producers of the TV show. They wouldn't mm-hmm. allow him to really. And, you know, the comic books, in all honesty, there weren't as many Superman comic books at that point. You know, Christopher Reeve, you know, he portrayed the character 20 years later. Right. To draw the, the data to draw upon. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, he had a little bit more to draw on some of the frailties of Superman that maybe George Reeves didn't have. But I got to give my second to Brandon Routh. I really enjoyed his one time portrayal of Superman. I didn't hate Superman Returns. That was OK. No. Yeah. I mean, the sh- the movie, honestly, it was plagued with a couple of problems and everything. Some stories, some bad writing. But that guy, he really played the hell out of that. I thought he got as close to Christopher Reeve as anybody has since Christopher Reeve played Superman. Hmm. I might have to think about it. About it. I almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're thinking, just take Dean Kane off the table. Okay. Yeah, I'll, we got to take Dean Kane off the table. I mean, I think Terry Hatcher was the star of that show more than Dean Kane. Yeah, I, think, I think it was more of a Lois Lane show. Well, speaking of Lois Lane, she is also a character in this six issue miniseries. Oddly enough, of course, <laughs> of course, she should be. Shocker. But she has a wide, varied history as well. I mean, she's been portrayed by several people. I don't know the actress's name who played her in the '60s TV show. Show, the George Reeves show. Uh, Noel Neal. We all know who was Noel Neal. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Superhero nerd in the well, house. That she is why that Jason out. is on the show. 
<laughs> Actually, Noelle Neal was in the Brandon Routh Superman movie. She played the really old woman that Lex Luthor was married to. That uh, What? Look at this connectivity happening. Wasn't she also on the train in the Christopher Reeve Superman? Oh. Was she really? Oh, yep. when he was the teenager with mm-hmm. the red flannel shirt and right. the yep. awful khakis. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she played Lois Lane originally, but I think everybody's favorite portrayal, would you say it's got to be from the Christopher Reeve Superman films? You're talking about Kidder? I think so. I mean, for me, she's probably my favorite portrayal. I know I know a lot of people like Terry Hatcher. Well, I like to look at Terry Hatcher. I but- think I'm gonna go yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Amy Adams. Ooh, from the Henry Cavill yeah. stuff. Okay. All right. She's kind of a brooding meanie though. Well, she was kind of a brooding meanie in this book as well. So it- <laughs> Well, she was she wasn't really brooding. She was just outright mean yeah. in this book. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe Amy Adams got it the closest to this character for sure. Well, if we're gonna talk about double L names in the Superman universe. There's one double L that maybe stands head and shoulders a little bit above Lois Lane, and that's Lex Luthor. Fools! (laughs) Fool! (laughs) I knew you were going to bring that up again when I heard that. (laughs) That's something Lex Luthor would say to his henchmen, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Lex Luthor, favorite portrayals in history, it's got to be Gene Hackman. If anybody says anything other than Gene Hackman, I don't know what to do with you. Okay, that's what I thought. Go ahead, Jason. No, no. <laughs> oh, I, I, I could. I, I'm a huge Gene Hackman fan. I love him in you know Unforgiven and The French Connection, and he was good. But every portrayal of Lex Luthor has been very more on the camp and over the top, and not the sinister side. I'd love to see a more sinister evil Lex Luthor than kind of just the, you know, scenery chewing madman, you know. (laughs) Now, we might be getting that in Supergirl. If you've noticed of late, Lex Luthor is in there and it's actually John Cryer of all people. Mm -hmm. I would have never cast him as Lex Luthor in a million years, but he's playing the evil Lex Luthor thing pretty well right now in a few episodes that he's been in. You know, something I've never really understood, and maybe you can clarify for me since we're talking Superman, is why does, I mean, Lex Luthor is basically just the the Donald Trump of Metropolis. He's the super success, well, except he's successful, I suppose, the only difference. (laughs) And and why does he hate Superman so much? You know, what has he done to make him so angry? Is it, does he have something he can't have? I mean, I think it's pure evil. Ego, really. Superman comes on the scene that Luther has built, right? Mm-hmm. He's built himself up in Metropolis as the man and he comes on and everybody starts going, oh no, Superman is the man. And I think that just hurts his pride so much that he's like, I have to kill him. I mean, mm. can you imagine if somebody came over and just outshone Donald Trump right now, how he would lose his shit? <sighs> what a tweet storm that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, Fake so hero. I, think, yep. <laughs> I think Lex Luthor is just doing his Twitter version of that rant hmm, only okay. he's you know creating havoc and it's really if you notice none of his plots are really designed to hurt people or blackmail people it's always designed to draw Superman out so he can kill him yeah, every exactly. single time it, it, just, it just seems so pointless like if you if you weren't fighting with him you could just be going your merry way if you're not trying to hurt right. people <laughs> yeah I just never <laughs> like, got it, it seemed a little artificial I never knew what the actual like was there a baseline like you know oh you, you know, is a John Wick did Superman kick his puppy or something right, I don't know what right. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
Well, I think uh, two people that everybody should agree with that they're good in pretty much every iteration of the Superman story you can talk about. That's Ma and Pa Kent, right? Mm -hmm. These Mm -hmm. are just two down-home Kansas people from Smallville who find a crashed alien in their farm fields and take him in and raise him and love him and nurture him and make some of the best pie on the planet. Now, is it true that they couldn't have children? And uh, and so this was like this this gift from God, Mark sure. Kent thought, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, we finally have a child. And yeah, Pa Kent was like, well, we have to turn him in. And she's like, over my dead body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty key point to the story of the history of Superman is, you know, if he had fallen anywhere else on the planet, right. mm-hmm. you know, people likely would have turned him over to humans, you know, child services mm-hmm. or, you know, the police department or some orphanage or something like he that. He basically but- fell right into the hands of the two most honest and pure people on the planet. Mm-hmm. And they like formulated his, his identity. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. What he grew up and who he became is 100% due to their upbringing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you, you want to see a different take, if Superman fell somewhere else, there was a series from the early 2000s, uh, Superman Red Sun, where he falls in uh, Russia and becomes a Ooh, tool really? of, you know, the, the communist uh, <laughs> government. So Wow. So much for America, <laughs> <Yeah>. then. <laughs> Super comrade. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're not going to get away with talking about who raised Superman without talking about his sire, you know, his father, Jor-El. Mm-hmm. You mean Marlon Brando? Jor-El, right. <laughs> How do you see anybody but Marlon Brando as Jor-El yeah, not after really. seeing those Superman Russell films? Russell Crowe riding on the dinosaur. No, <laughs> shut up. Oh, Hard my pass. God. <laughs> Anybody, how could you see Gladiator as Superman's father? That I I, that was some of the worst casting I could ever see. Oh come on! He didn't even look as strong as Marlon Brando. He looked more imposing than Chris Reed. Right? He just has a gravitas. He's just like, oh shit, there he is. Yeah. But then Russell Crowe next to Henry Cavill, they just look like buddies. They like neither one of them was the father-child relationship. That wasn't anywhere in that that viewpoint of Superman. I just. Russell Crowe would kick a puppy. I'm convinced. He would kick a puppy, right? (laughs) He He would kick a puppy square into nuts. Absolutely, (laughs) he would. Rochambeau. (laughs) (laughs) You so you're a Russell Crowe fan? I am. I am. Oh, what's wrong with you? Got your Dean Cain. You got your Russell Crowe. What's wrong with this man? We got to find a new seat for the panel, John. (laughs) This is, oh my goodness. What do y'all have against Russell Crowe? He's Russell Crowe. That's what I've got (laughs) against him. He shouldn't be Jarrell. It's that simple. Uh. (laughs) If anyone can stop Joe, it's that that evil master of the Changes color before your eyes. Gentlemen, it's time to talk about the story of Superman Man of Steel, the six issue miniseries from 1986. We have covered a lot of history of Superman. However, in this case, this is a reboot, a reimagining, if you will, after Crisis on Infinite Earths happened in the mid 80s, 85, I believe, when that series came out. So now we've got a whole new Superman with his whole new origin story. I mean, it's still very similar, but there's some definite differences. Now, before you dig in too deep, can I just tell you that I realize 
realized sure. about three pages in that I'm like, hmm, this I'm pretty sure this is the first Superman comic book I've ever cracked open and read. Really? Well, I mean, really? Wow. I, 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 there's specific things I read and superheroes were never really the thing I was most interested in. It was more so those you're not a characters. spandex muscles kind of guy. No, it no. Was more I the, really like, you know, Doc Savage, The Shadow, things sure. like that are the things I was really more into. Mm-hmm. So superheroes never crushed. Now, of course, I know everything that you know about Superman from just pop culture, who he is. He's Clark Kent, right. Lois Lane. I saw the movie. Yeah, like we've been everything. talking about. Right. Yeah. And so, frankly, I read this from page one to the end of issue six, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until we got ready to record the podcast that I understood from you guys talking that this is a like reboot of Superman. So I didn't know this was a new story. I'm just like, oh, I never knew this about him. And it's because gotcha. it's, it's a change. I didn't know it was a so whole it like, was, reimagining. Right. Because for you, even though you knew the traditional history of Superman and Lois yep. Lane and Lex Luthor and all them, this wasn't so far afield that you didn't recognize the characters. No, but no. Because you hadn't read <laughs> the books fun. before, you you didn't see the differences because you didn't know there were real differences like that. Exactly like, right. For instance, Lois Lane's personality or, you know, the way that Lex Luthor was portrayed in this series compared to some of the other mm-hmm. series. Slimy. You know? Yep. Right. <laughs> He's always kind of slimy. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like, oh, this is a little bit different than the movies. That's interesting because this is what the comic books are like. And I'm like, that's not always mm-hmm. been the case, huh? Uh, Jason, was the genetic code stuff was that part of superman's original origin story or was that the new thing that was introduced in this series i you know i that seemed new i thought that they you know had the baby the you know the human way right. uh, but it was kind of it was it was definitely <laughs> sort of jarring for me that superman was a test tube baby i don't think that when they first created superman i don't think they had this genetic you know code and we don't mm-hmm. give birth to babies we splice their genes so that they have their you know, their fate is already decided for Mm -hmm. them before they're ever born. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was part of their original lexicon. And the reason why I bring that up is because that probably happened right after this crisis on Infinite Earths when they decided to do the story retelling. And that has been propagated throughout the newer series of films, not the older series, because they didn't really talk about that during the Christopher Reeves films. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. that's been heavily talked about in the Henry Cavell film. I really like that. But I liked how that they took that and contrasted it in this new storyline with the relationship between Ma and Pa Kent, right? Ma and Pa Kent are still alive at the end of this book. I mean, Ma's, you know, in other films and the old comics, Ma Kent sticks around, but you know, Pa Kent he's usually yeah. dies mm-hmm. when Superman's a teenager. And that's kind of the impetus for Superman deciding he needs to go out into the world and become Superman usually. But in this series, right. that's not the case. Superman, you know, he decides that once he gets told by Pa Kent and Pa Kent kind of gives him the Spider-Man with great responsibility, you know, kind <laughs> of power, yeah, right. lecture yep. thing, right? I, I think that yeah. I like that in this series, they didn't kill off Pa Kent. I like that he's still there because I thought it was important for him to be there when Superman returned to Smallville later on in issue five mm-hmm. or six, I think it was. I think it was issue six um, when he returns and I like that he was kind of that, that he looked at his his parents as, you know, Martha and Jonathan as kind of confidants and, you know, they gave him advice and were supportive. And, you know, I thought that was was nice instead of the typical, you know, my parents are dead. I must avenge the night, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting in this miniseries that you had me look at uh, as compared to the the Avengers uh, Infinite War, or Infinity War, whatever it was that we looked at before, right. is how dense that was. This mm-hmm. was 
was this felt two really cool things jumped out at me. One, it felt way more like a comic book that I think of when I think of a comic book, which is sure very Mm -hmm. like clear, thick lines. It's drawn. The dialogue is there. And just the way the characters look, the drawing style, it's not super hyper realistic, but proportionally Mm -hmm. it's look, everybody's a little bit super muscular or a little bit super, you know, feminine or whatever that is. Uh, And plus like it wasn't this long, dense story. It was like, they, they we're going to reboot like seven chapters of Superman. So like each book had one or two chapters mm-hmm. that they went back. It was individual kind of stories. They, they threaded together. Sure. Like you could have picked up just right. one of these and not been lost. You could have picked up, you know, issue three and been fine. Right. And from that point forward, they can you know, pick up those storylines from that point from yeah, this six yeah. issue miniseries and explore them mm-hmm. in a new world. Yep. One thing that I found really cool about the story was you notice how in the panels where Superman was thinking to himself, how he would explain to the readers how he was able to do something. Right. Like, for gonna- instance, I'm going to use my microscopic vision to, yeah, this- <laughs> you know, I need to shave. I have a piece of my ship and I right. use my laser vision yes. and it burns yeah. off. The, yeah, right. In the way that regular men's beards get accustomed to razors, I'm not likely to burn myself. It's right. Really. If you do that story today, I don't think it gets bought by anybody because it's going to seem pandering to yeah. a regular comic book reader because comic book readers are traditionally now, they're a little bit older because it's the people who grew up in the 70s and 80s, our Generation X guys who grew up with comic books. We're the ones still reading comic books now. The newer generation, I don't think, is reading comic books as much. So the target audience is going to be different. I really dug I did it. too. I liked it. You know, because in fact, I was I was thinking as he was going to go shave, I was thinking, wait a minute, you can't shave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> was he got a he got a power grinder back there? What's he gonna do? Right. And then as soon as he steps back, I'll turn on the razor to to mask the sound of me eyeball lasering my beard off. I thought it was, and I liked him explaining it because being a guy who doesn't know all that, I'm like, yeah, like how how's he does it? And he explained it to me. I'm like, oh, cool. Now I know. <laughs> It was also really cool that he started off, he was kind of traveling around doing his hero thing. He wasn't just starting out in Metropolis, which is where most people, you know, associate mm-hmm. Superman with. He's he's Metropolis guy. He's Clark Kent working at Daily Planet. And this is mm-hmm. the area that he protects. But we even saw like some little crossovers in a couple of the issues. Like he goes to Gotham City at one point because, you know, he's got to go apprehend that stupid Batman guy. That guy's a dick. <laughs> I liked how he moved around quite a bit in this series. It was really a a different Mm -hmm. take on it. Yeah, the sisterhood of the traveling pants Superman was uh, it it was a different thing. (laughs) Like you always wonder why is he only helping the people in this one town? You know, other people they got troubles. Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of referenced that in the Henry Cavell Man of Steel movie because he sure. kind of starts out. He was kind of nomadic and then, you know, you know, worked at a fish and dock or whatever and helped people and then moved like on. Like an oil to the rig next. at one point, I think. Yeah, oil right. rig. Yeah. 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 It kind of makes you wonder if the Henry Cavell people didn't take this series as one of their jumping off points for creating that storyline. I mean, I'm not saying they took this story and created the whole movie, obviously, because they right. didn't, but maybe they took some of the, I don't know, some of the feeling of this book of this series and use that to create their version of Superman. Uh, yeah, I, I picked up a lot of vibes from that film. It's just that film just took these really nice uh, thoughts and, and ideas and just made them a lot darker and grimier in right. the, that movie. But More DC-ish. Yeah. Well, one thing that's the same pretty much throughout any Superman story is him having to adjust to life at some point between Superman and Clark Kent. And we've even seen, John, one of our favorite films that we like, a Quentin Tarantino film 
Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Remember in Kill Bill Volume 2 how Bill goes on the tirade of how Superman is completely unique in the Superman world because Superman is who he really is and Clark Kent is his mask where everybody else there, you know, Batman is really Bruce Wayne, but Batman is his mask, you know, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger point of that is him having to adjust to reining himself in all the time. He talks about having to pull punches when he's fighting, mm-hmm. you know, Bizarro Superman in the one um, issue number four, I think it was. And I always found that fascinating that Superman has to hide himself from the rest of the world, whereas everybody else, the way they're hi- what they're hiding is the, is the superhero part, part of themselves. Of them, yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. I, I did like this interpretation, though, because even in the Christopher Reeve movies, Clark Kent and in the comics before this, uh, Clark Kent kind of, you know, is a little too bumbly and kind of, uh, you know, kind of a dork. Uh, this Clark Kent, you know, he definitely keeps himself different than Superman, but he's also kind of just a regular earnest guy. He's not, he's not over the top bumbly. He's, you know, well, there's no slapstick for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely liked this version of Clark Kent that they presented us. There's always the joke that, you know, the only way you can, uh, you can hide your identity, a pair of glasses will hide anything. Right. right? (laughs) And and, and it's even off in the Christopher Reeve films that I think about that, you know, he had a different stance. Like when he was Clark Kent, he was kind of slouch shouldered to look smaller. Right. You know, and in this Clark Kent, He's a freaking beefcake. I mean, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Lois calls out that like, oh, you you're really keeping yourself in shape. You're doing a great job. Right. He, he keeps the weights around. How his are you doing it house. with these weak weights? She yeah, said. because he can't yeah. tell how heavy they are. They're, they all seem light to him, right? But and even that whole thing about him wearing the glasses, even Bizarro Superman, because you know he's got all of Superman's memories and thoughts, you know, as best yeah. he can. He tries to put on <laughs> yeah, glasses, the glasses, right? right. <laughs> and the suit over the cape and everything. Yeah, and the cape is hanging out the tail of his right. jacket. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean. I did like how you bring up Lois Lane. Their relationship in this book was completely different than what, at least until they get into issues five or so when she starts admitting that she really likes Superman, but she really hates Clark Kent, which is not necessarily the case in what I know of traditional Superman lore. Like generally they're at least friendly coworkers. And a lot of times there's even a a small affection between from Lois Lane over to Clark Kent. In this case, Mm -hmm. nah. She's done with Clark Kent. She only wants Superman. That was actually kind of cool because in the past, uh, as far as the Daily Planet goes, Lois is kind of the alpha reporter. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and Clark's kind of, you know, gets the second He's story the or third story. But he actually does that so that he doesn't stand out. He wants to just kind of, he wants to right. do well, but not excel right. so he doesn't draw attention. To him. But <laughs> but in this case, he, I guess he wants a, wants a job and wants to fit in. So he decides to, he'll turn in a story uh, about Superman and it yanks it from well, like Peter Parker, doesn't he? Yeah, he has, exactly. He has special <laughs> access. <laughs> I think that they had to do that, though, because like you said, traditionally, he just kind of, you know, he slides his way in. He's very mm-hmm. unassuming and everything. But here, because they're writing new storylines, this is after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and they need to do different things in order to reimagine these characters. They say, what if Superman or Clark Kent to more to the point actually made an enemy of Lois Lane by being better at her job than her. Mm-hmm. 
And I like how they took that what if and turned it into this storyline because it really gives him a moment of pause. Like, I really like Lois Lane, but she doesn't like Clark Kent. She only likes Superman. What am I going to do? You know, when he's back there in Smallville talking with his parents. I I like how they brought that out in this story. And you hadn't really seen that before this point. Now, Jason, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is also part of the reboot or not, but I'm going to ask you because you clearly know minutia about too much in the comic book world. (laughs) So was am I wrong that before the Crisis on Infinite Earths rebooty thing that didn't Lois Lane know Superman's true identity or vice versa, Clark Kent's true identity? And then they rebooted that? Or was that just something that I learned through pop culture tribal knowledge? Well, you're definitely right in the films. She discovers his identity. Yeah, maybe I only know that because falls. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, most of the Superman I've read, I'll be honest with you, has been after the post, you know, post-crisis is so what we this call it. But from this post-86 era, okay. Yeah, so, and and she eventually does find out he's Superman and they get married and, I'm pretty you know, sure she discovered who he alert. was before Crisis, though, because I'm pretty sure they got married before Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think in the original Superman comics, they got together. And so you know, if they get together, she's going to know his identity. Right. So that would make her knowing part of this reboot then. So they, they, they reset that, uh, Mm-hmm. That whole dynamic. They get to get the whole Sam and Diane thing all over again post crisis. Right. Right. Well, yeah. and that happens pretty much in any time one of these comic book companies decides to mm-hmm. reboot their entire universe. They get to start over with some things and make the old new again kind you of thing. You go back to the well with, this was a great storyline. Let's do it again. Right. right. Well, <laughs> and what better way to go back to the well than to talk about Lex Luthor and all his attempts to gain power in Metropolis? I mean, he pretty much, John, you hit it right on the head. He's the Donald Trump of this book at this point. He's so slimy. Oh, is he slimy? <laughs> Very oh. weird. Let me give you a, let me send you a helicopter to bring you to my party on this yacht that I want to impress you with. And here's this $5,000 dress. Yep. All to Lois Lane, not to Clark Kent, by the way. Right. Uh, <laughs> that would be, that would be different. That would be a whole <laughs> different kind of reboot, right? I would, right. I would buy that book in a heartbeat. Right. And then <laughs> the secret identity is Clara Kent at that point. He's in right. drag all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Clara, you're so beefy. I know. I really am. <laughs> hey, Lex Luthor, no matter how many times you reboot him, unless you go to the alternate dimension where he's a good guy, he's always going to be hungry for power. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of how they portray him in the drawings and then how he goes about trying to gain that power from Superman, right? Plus, right. he's a ginger. He is a ginger. He, he right? is, yes. <laughs> what would Cartman have to say about that? So when did <laughs> when did the first Superman film come out with Christopher Reeves? 78 or nine. Yeah, 79, I think. And this is 86, several years afterwards. And in those films, I'm not going to say he was a ginger, but that hairline from Gene Hackman in the first film was oddly reminiscent of the hairline in this book for Lex Luthor. Yes. Yeah, bald all the way back and then just a little crescent around the back of the head. Now, this guy was a little shorter and a little pudgier than Gene Mm -hmm. Hackman was in those films. But I'm telling you, I think they drew inspiration from those films when they created this character look. In John Burns, a goal was to get a lot of that uh, feeling from the Christopher Reeve movies um, and also kind of update, you know, some modern sensibility to it from the you know, previous years of Superman from the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, kind of catch, you know, make it a little more modern for modern readers, but also catch kind of the spirit of those older comics and also the spirit of the Christopher Reeve movie. So, well, I think he I, did I think a good he, job. I think, I think he did. And uh, 
the a thing about Lex Luthor is that in the comics, especially like in the sixties, he was definitely more of a mad scientist type. Mm, right. And in this definitely, you know, Gene Hackman touched on it quite a bit, but in this they definitely made him more of a, a megalomaniac you know, evil eighties yeah. businessman. Yeah, you know? he was Gordon Gecko. Gordon Gecko, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Gordon Gecko was a ginger. Yep. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, during the era that this comic book is being written, which was more prominent? Somebody trying to grab power through scientific methods or through business? Nope. Yep. This is the mid right. '80s, so it was Got all it. about greed is good. That's you know, right. we're going to profit. Go, all that go kind '80s Reaganot, you betcha. Exactly, <laughs> that, and that's what they wrote into the book. I thought sure. it was very proper for the time period, and. At the very end of this series, we get the return to Smallville, which I was kind of craving a little bit. I wanted to, you know, him to go back and talk to his parents, which he did. There was some confidence sharing there a little bit between his parents and then Lana, you know, that mm-hmm. whole little storyline. Yeah, that was kind of rough. Yeah, it was a little bit. You could tell how, you know, he unintentionally hurt her. And I, but I loved at the very end, we get through the whole thing and he's got the Jarrell mind wipe thing, whatever happening where he's learning the language of Krypton. And mm-hmm. all some weird stuff transfer. happening. Yeah, like he's having hallucinations of, of mm-hmm. Krypton. Yeah, like first he can't understand the language, and then it like melds into him. And yeah, right. Yeah, the all that kid has stuff. to smash a hologram with a shovel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. And only the wood saved you from being electrocuted. It was like really okay. All right, I, like, fine. I, lo- I love that Clark said, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, but my shovel's seen better days." Right. Because yeah. <laughs> what's important to Pa Kent? His shovel. That's right. My tools. Right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Salt I saved earth. my son. Oh, now what am I going to dig with? Damn it. Uh, got you know? <laughs> to head down to the feed store and get another spray. Right. <laughs> Who explodes with more firepower than ever? No question. It's Batman forever. It's Gotham City's ultimate battle as the Riddler's brain trap drains your brain. But Night Hunter Batman sets his sights on crushing evil every time. And Hydrochlor Robin delivers a devastating left hook. And when Batman soars in the Turbo Batwing, evil is blasted from the sky and battered with an explosive surprise. Who's the ultimate answer to crime? No question. It's Batman forever. Figures and vehicles sold separately. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And that will wrap it up for this back issue edition of the Drawn and Panel podcast. Gentlemen, before we get out of here, one quick question. What was the most interesting part of Superman Man of Steel for each one of you? And I'm going to start with Jason. Um, I think the most interesting part, uh, I love the whole book actually a lot, but uh, that Superman was a test tube baby. Okay. John? My favorite part of the miniseries, frankly, was the little story where he goes and sees Batman. I thought that was really cool. Nice. That was okay. good. And it, it was just the, the fact that it was, uh, you know, it's like just what you'd expect. Batman is kind of a, a villain-ish kind of character. He's breaking the law. He's outside of the law. And Superman is, he's a Boy Scout. He's going to fix it. And they they kind of build this tenuous friendship that kind of opened right. up mm-hmm. to evolve later. And I wasn't expecting that out of a Superman title. And that was kind of a cool bonus. It was a nice little bonus. I think for me, my favorite part was Bizarro Superman Dust giving Lois Lane's <laughs> sister her sight back. <laughs> right? I don't know why. I just kind of like that. I thought yeah. that was neat. You know, yeah, it something seemed kind of convoluted to me, but uh, yeah, it was it was it interesting. Was very I didn't see convoluted. It That's why I yeah. liked it so much. <laughs> 
One last bit of business before we get out of here. I want to take a moment to thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash Gen X Grownup. That is you, Corey, Stubaka, Will, Steen, Jessica, Marcus, Dana, Slomo, Thomas, Agel, and T2. Thank you guys so much for sending us a couple of bucks each month to help keep the lights on here at Drawn and Paneled and Gen X Grownup. And if you too would like your name read out among the pantheon of great podcast listeners that I just mentioned, all you have to do Talk is about the Patreon.com. Human beings. I mean, you were talking that's about that right, before. Right? <laughs> that, that's our Mount Rushmore right there. Just go to patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. Sign up for a dollar a month pledge. Couple of bucks a month gets you some exclusive access to some behind the scenes kind of stuff, early access. Mm-hmm. And I think, John, what is it? 10 bucks gets you a Rubik's Cube, if I remember right? It is. It's not a Rubik's Cube. It's a puzzle cube, a special a puzzle type of cube. cube. A puzzle? Yeah. Oh, okay. A special type of puzzle cube. Not there a generic you go. Rubik's. So not, you betcha. Not the generic Rubik. Oh, no. Gen X Grown Up, we got to do things right. And so it's, there and you it's go. Gen X Grown Up branded, too. Woo-hoo. Gen X Grown Up branded. Well, now I've got to go sign up. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Everyone should. <laughs> Everyone should. I need to have my name read amongst the Patreon supporters. Because we don't say your name enough. Not at all. <laughs> with that, we will be back in two weeks with another back issue edition of our podcast. But next week with our regular edition. Until then, John, thank you so much for joining us here on Drawn and Panel. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Jason, glad to have you here as well. That was my pleasure. And we will see you guys next time. See everybody later. Farewell, mortals. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.